Today I will be welcoming a good friend of mine from Stryker Entertainment, Russell Binder. Uh, Russell is a licensing agent, he is a producer. Um, recently he has been working with folks like Greg Nicotero and he's producing The Creep Show um, television program that I'm sure you guys have seen and love. And uh, Stryker also have a overhead production deal with Bloomhouse, who are probably one of the best horror studios right now. Um, and uh, essentially they find third-party IP for film and television translation, uh, and they focus on things that have franchise potential. So Russ is, he's a big wig, ladies and gentlemen. He would never admit that. He's a very humble guy. Uh, but he is, he's a bigwig, and um, I'm happy to know him, I'm happy to have worked for him, and we had a very interesting conversation today, uh, and I hope you look forward to listening to it. You don't really have a choice at this point, you must listen to it. It's the Stazapod. My very special guest today is Russell Binder, a titan of the licensing industry. Russell has been the shadow master behind the scenes, pulling the strings, getting the great product you love into stores, making the deals happen. Welcome to Destazapod, Russell Binder. How are you? Jesse, I don't mind hearing that one more time. That sounded so nice. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure you're talking about me, but I, I will take it. I'm doing well, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so for the uh, Destazapod audience, uh, we've known each other for a long time. You've been my boss at several junctures in my life. And um, you are actually an underrated karaoke singer. Um <laughs> Uh, is it you two in the name of love? Is that your It's go-to? pretty much anything Green Day or Van Halen's Ice Cream Man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's pretty pretty simple. It's a choice of three, uh, and and I do like the fact that having been your boss, that we still talk. <laughs> That's also always a good sign, I think. Yes, and I don't have a lot of bosses <laughs> that I can say that for. I think you and you and Mark might be the only exactly. ones. But exactly. Right. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple things today. Uh, first, I'll give some background about your illustrious career. Uh, then I want to talk about Wildstorm and the birth of Image Comics. You were in the orbit to that very important time frame. Uh, and then I want to hear about your projects, uh, Sangri Ioro and Jackie. So you can uh, lay all this out for us. But let's start with um, a couple quick bullet points on Russell Binder. I think some of the most notable things are um, licensing agency for Five Nights at Freddy, a massive worldwide hit, Angry Birds, the Terminator franchise, uh, Terminator Salvation, I believe Terminator it was. Salvation and Terminator Genesis, in fact. And, and Terminator Genesis, uh, which gave birth to one of the best arcade games probably ever created. Um, Walking Dead, the list goes on and on. Uh, you and Striker Entertainment have sort of, um, you know, you you guys are phenoms. You've put together this incredible body of work with really just a very small, dedicated team, and it's uh, it's kind of unheard of. Yeah, you know, we we've um, we grew up as a business being fans of 
genre material in a time where you know the, the licensing business the ip business was was evolving and when we started when i started in the business about 25 years ago there were very few gatekeepers you know you had the major what we call the five families you had you know universal and disney and warner nickelodeon and that sort of was your pipeline of some the major IP and the major properties and when we started Striker there was a evolution i think in the entertainment business where there were many more independent financiers of entertainment and those companies were able to hold on to their rights and make their productions make their shows their motion pictures and borrow or rent distribution from the major distributors but hold on to their rights and that gave Striker Uh, a very unique positioning as an independent agency who is working with major Hollywood financiers who um you know for the first time in a long time found themselves in control of their own destiny and looking at licensing as a way to enhance their marketing in endeavors as well as obviously <clears throat> create some profits profit centers for their companies based on the properties that they were producing so was really really good timing that was about 13 years ago in April when we started Striker um you know having done some independent motion pictures early on my first being the Blair Witch project and moving into some of the saw properties at Lionsgate and representing the early days of Lionsgate horror uh Revolution turned into Hellboy and XXX2 and the business just grew from there so it's been a hell of a ride I'd say so. Um so what what I think the truest thing about you and and your partner at Striker Mark Mosman is that uh you guys were some of the only people in Hollywood, let's say, um that understood were fans of and were sort of proselytizing um kind of this new wave of comic creators. You know, obviously everybody knows well Todd McFarlane story you guys had a relationship with Todd over the years you've done many deals with with Todd um but you were um you had your finger on the pulse when it came to Wildstorm Wildcats and um the sort of toy deals and animation deals it, it, you know that were around that property is that correct yeah you know it was sort of serendipitous Jesse um that time that opportunity I had been in the restaurant business for about four and a half years um and CPK California pizza kid wouldn't regret a day of it but the world was growing around me and and uh and my experience was getting somewhat um suffocating i would say that the job opportunities were limited and i had grown up in los angeles i had a lot of friends in various aspects of the entertainment business and i had a stepfather who had grown up in the toy business and and an adjunct got into the licensing business um and i grew up watching him do that and when i was getting ready to leave the restaurant business my stepfather jay roth was working at nelvana as the worldwide head of licensing and merchandising and one of his projects amongst a bar and rupert for for preschool kids was the animated series Wildcats from Jim Lee and when Jay was ready to leave Nelvana I was ready to leave CPK 
and we set up a company, J. Roth and Associates, and our first client was, in fact, Wildstorm Productions. Amazing. I mean, the, you know, I think of, I think of uh, our, my hobby of action figure collectibles and things like that is, as sort of points between these big monumental sort of black swan events, you know, and I think uh, Ninja Turtles was probably the first one of the modern era. I don't think anyone saw that coming and it became this enormous thing. And then I think, you know, the, the formation of Image Comics and Todd and Rob and all those guys and Jim sort of going off on their own and then doing their own licensing deals, which is something that, you know, comic creators typically didn't have the rights to or that, you know, that was something that was handled by the studios. Um, that was really unprecedented. And you saw sort of two different efforts. You had um, the Wildcats deal that was uh, Playmates, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And then you had Todd, who I think had a deal with Mattel and then said in typical Todd fashion, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. And he is still doing it himself to this day. Um, but, you know, for for me and I think the majority of my listeners, we were at the pivotal age when these things were happening. You know, uh, I was a teenager. I would have just started to sort of get into this the edgier comics. So, you know, the formation of Image and Spawn coming out would have been right place, right time for me. Um, but... You know, I guess I'm I'm interested in the the fly on the wall perspective um, for what that was like. Was there a sort of energy that this was totally, you know, uncharted territory and was going to be a gold rush? And you know, did you feel like these these creators were going to change the way the game was played, or did nobody really know what they had on their hands? You know, it's interesting. When I got into this. Um they had already formed image and it was still pretty early days. Um, and my personal experience, like I said, having been wrapped up in the restaurant business and, and not paying as deep attention as I, you know, began to, when I started working with my stepfather, um, I, I was aware of the image guys, you know, probably from the American express commercials with Rob Liefeld, right? Like that was, yeah. Early, my early exposure to image comics and, and the creators but what i when i was thrust into the middle of it particularly you know working specifically with wildstorm um i got a, a first row you know floor seat view of how those operations were working um watching john Mee and that company build incredible ip um having them build large businesses be, behind you know, doing trading cards themselves as opposed to licensing them, doing comics and, and engaging in the variant business where speculation was a, probably the height in the in the comic book business at that time. And just watching this company, you know, and, and frankly, all the partners have an incredible run as creators and owners. And my first, I think, exposure to Todd and what Todd was doing was, you know, he wanted to do Wills Portacio's Wetworks. And he did, I yeah. think that might've been one of his first five, maybe earlier lines of action figures. And, and we did that deal uh, with Todd. And it, you know, it showed me very quickly how this creator, how this kind of, um, 
you know, forward thinker was like, there's a way the fans want to be treated and there's a pro there's products that the fans want to collect because we as creators want these quality products to represent the figures and the characters we've created so you know todd to his credit said you know how do i do or why can't i do these incredibly highly detailed figures for collectors and and make a business out of it and good for him because he redefined i think the action figure business and created a whole industry for you know companies who who were tired of pretty flat you know plastic low detail figures even though that's a business and there's collectors for that as well but really making affordable statues uh, that had articulation and incredible paint operations and you know I, i give todd complete credit to that yeah absolutely he you know I don't think I would be where I am if not for him. And I would also say um, for those that, you know, maybe have not met Todd or haven't had a conversation with Todd, he is 100% as he appears in interviews, you know, in videos, that is Todd, like to, to a T. He, and he, um, he's, he's as authentic you know, as you can get. And again, with, you know, I, no matter what your opinion is of a creator or their creation uh, as a businessman as a visionary and if you look at the things that Todd has you know said that's cool but I can make it better he's done it with animation yeah. when he did the spawn animation with HBO back in the day he did it with construction toys and made you know construction interesting for older collectors um, he's just found a way to complete like to look at businesses and say here's how they sh- here's how the cool kids should do it <laughs> you know and make it interesting absolutely um, I wanted to hop to uh, something I've that's been floating around my brain a lot lately and that is the current state of retail because um, I you know I'm a little bit out of the loop now for a couple of years of of the sort of day-to-day deal making and how things are selling. So I, I'm more back in the consumer perspective when it comes to how I experience retail and brick and mortar. And it feels like a ghost town in these stores when I go there now. Um, I don't know the last time I've been to, you know, a specialty or mass market store that had full pegs of anything, you know, not just the toy aisle that I like, but um, you know, even preschool or, or any of that section, it these stores seem to look like a graveyard. I think also the the impending damage report from the coronavirus is going to push back a lot of new product. Um, you know, for we don't know how long at this point. So it, then you you sort of sprinkle on in the recent past that Toys R Us has gone under, uh, Sears should be out of business any day. It's, it really feels like a shrinking, contracting universe. Um, is that your read on it? And or do you see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel? You know, I, I don't have a firm opinion on this other than, you know, there was probably too much out there by way of retail and too much price com- competition. Uh, so the idea of, you know, groups of retailers not succeeding in one capacity or another was going to happen. You layer on online purchasing 
and Amazon and ways to buy products that get sent directly to your home and the convenience of your home to both purchase or from your mobile device, of course, retail is going to be affected. So, you know, the, 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 there's always going to be, I shouldn't say always, but there's should always be uh, a brick and mortar business. There's, um, there's going to be a more dynamic and growing consumer online business. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, the, these, these, what's the best way to say it? You know, that there's the, the way to succeed, I think, in today's environment and is, is to create an experience at retail. You're either going to be a low cost leader and that's what's going to drive consumers into your stores. Or if you're competitively priced, you're going to have to create an experience for the shopper. And if you remember walking into Toys R Us, and we certainly had a few in the West Los Angeles and Valley areas, and I'm sure you have your, you know, the groups that you visited where you're in your geography, you know, it, it wasn't much of an experience. You'd walk in and no. it was a warehouse of toys that weren't supposed to be where they were supposed to be. Uh, you know, you had clerks that had no idea where anything was or how to answer a question. And it was, you know, if you're going to be shopping, in that environment, you might as well go for the best price possible if you're going to do all the heavy lifting yourself. Um, so it's the, the things I'm seeing, the trends I'm seeing in retail are creating not just uh, products on shelves, but experiences and engagements with consumers that make it worthwhile or fun, at least, or you know, interesting to walk back into a box uh, as opposed to buying something online. But it's, it is absolutely challenging out there. Lots of SKUs have been reduced at the major retailers and, and licensed goods. Uh, fewer vendors are providing goods to these retailers. So it, it really has contracted, but it, it might have been a necessary contraction. Yeah. You know, I wonder if, um, I, have you been to a Super 7 retail spot? Before, like the, the pop-up they do in... San Diego? Or... Um, I have not, I, and, and, and I'm re- I regret that because I think there is one not far from me, but I, I have not. I've been to Bates and other stores like that, but haven't been to Super 7 yet. I think that there's an interesting model there with a manufacturer having a very small footprint in select key locations and building, like you said, a, a very cohesive experience. Um, if you... you you should try to stop by in San Diego at their store there. Um, I think that in some ways that may be the future where instead of these sort of stores that are trying to be everything to everyone, there's a much more narrow focus. And like you said, it's it's a bit of an experience to walk in there. Um, you know, I, I, I like what they're building and I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that is part of the answer. Well, yeah, but listen, it. It, there's no question that if you're going to have a successful business today in retail, you're going to have a combination of a brick and mortar and online experience. You know, there was a great article one of the people that works for me gave to me about direct to consumer retail and everybody was on you know the bandwagon about dtc and selling without a brick and mortar retail location or distribution and other retailers and at the end of the day these companies that were really attractive to investors weren't making money so what they ultimately had a direct-to-consumer model but they realized they also need a distribution model and in some cases 
a retail environment that creates that brand awareness and that brand engagement much i think similar to what funco has done you know in hollywood where they've created that retail tainment store that has some products and you know it's pretty decently populated with product but it's as much an instagram museum i think as it is uh you know a place to buy funco goods it it reminds me a lot of when the disney stores first rolled out and they were huge sculptural figures and it it was you know like a little bit like walking into disney world at your local right. mall but, but but back then yeah. compared to now you weren't on <laughs> people weren't you know jacked in the social as, as much as they are today and and now that makes a huge difference because when you take your picture with Rick and Morty or you take your picture with Indiana Jones you can share it with everybody right you couldn't do that back in the day with the disney stores right and i i understand that that reference to indiana jones was a knock at mark mosman so <laughs> no, just whether it's intended or not probably <laughs> <laughs> um so uh you and i were also talking about earlier that um as the world kind of gets bigger and smaller at the same time with disney and netflix and these these just large entities that seem to own every bit of ip um it's becoming more and more important to have your own ip and to you know if you feel a story burning inside you to kind of give that a voice and do your best to get it out there and um recently you've announced that you have two properties that you're starting to do starting to sort of cultivate yourself and i would love to hear more about them and i know that my listeners are also creative types and the majority of them also have stories that they're dying to tell and i try to always be a force to encourage people to just put pen to paper so um even somebody who is as busy as you with such an in demand career um i'd love to hear about these properties and what is behind the spark that is compelling you to do this because honestly you could just be kicking back in a pool sipping mai tais if you wanted to at this <laughs> that point that would be that that's just not going to happen i'm afraid that i love what i do far i mean i'll do it on a weekend maybe or on a vacation but that's that's not how i'm going to spend my free time going forward i i'm you know i'm very driven um on so many levels jesse and and in in this new kind of iteration of what i'm engaging in creatively you know i go i go back to my restaurant days and i remember wanting to be a chef and i figured i better go to work in a restaurant before i make that jump to go to chef school and after four and a half years in the restaurant business although i learned it much earlier i realized i love great food and i love to dine out but I, you know working in that business it wasn't wasn't what i was cut out to do it wasn't for me it didn't bring me yeah. that kind of joy but i realized what i loved about that world and what i what i didn't and you know now getting into the world of entertainment as i have been for the last 25 years working with you know so many incredibly talented people um over the course of my career both through the licensing business as well as the management and production business you know i get to work with a lot of talent that you know we all admire so much and i get to have you know an adult conversation with them in in a way that it's not so much fandom but it's recognizing what they've done creatively and how they do it you know professionally and i've worked with Guillermo del Toro as you know Kevin Eastman Sean Levy 
um, McGee, I mean, all the filmmakers that we've got to work with over the years, comic book creators, storytellers. And I've always admired people who have had the opportunity to express the stories they wish to tell, you know, and, and I got that bug and I've had it for a while. And, you know, when you're drinking from a fire hose as a licensing agency and you don't have time to breathe, it's hard to find extra hours in the day to, you know, sit down and be a creative person. Um, but that doesn't mean that ideas weren't always going through my head and um, stories and concepts and and then what to do with them. You know, you put them in a jar and you forget about them for a while. But there's a story that I remember hearing um, as I was driving in L.A., as listening to public radio, and it was about, um, you know, a, a, a piece of California history around the gold rush days. Uh, and it was about a, a, a character, or not character, but a person, uh, an outlaw named Joaquin Murrieta. And I think a lot of people might know the name a lot of people don't but it he, he's sort of the mexican braveheart um in the sense that he was a young you know stud in ranchero in mexico and you know fell in love with the don's daughter and, and he wasn't worthy of her hand because he wasn't from wealth so he figured i will prove my worth to this you know don so i could have his daughter's hand and he came to California right after the Mexican-American War and, and uh, you know, dug for gold, pan for gold. And what the story really is about is about greed. It's about intolerance. It's about, um, you know, misunderstanding. It's about what happens when you push someone past the point of acceptable, you know, um, past the point of, of, of reasonable treatment and the results or the reactions of when you push someone too hard. Um, so, you know, you had a very, what I think was, you know, someone who had the right intent, who had the right hopes and aspirations, who came here like everybody looking for opportunity and was, you know, because he was an immigrant, because he was, you know, successful as an immigrant, he became, a, you know, a target. And that putting a target on his back and causing him the kind of hurt and angst and mistreatment that he dealt with, you know, he started a movement. And that that story struck with stuck with me for so long. I mean, I heard this about 15, maybe 20 years ago in the car, like I said. Um, and when our, you know, not to get political, but with so much going on in the world today, particularly in the United States, particularly with the conversations around immigration and the mistreatment of immigrants, I felt like this was time to tell this story about, you know, how we need to treat people and how we need to look at people and what the repercussions are when you don't treat people well or equally. So that was, you know, the inspiration for that. So without, you know, spending all the wind on this, I, I realized I can't write. <laughs> you know, I, I write a hell of a letter. And I, or an email, but to sit down and, and draft a novel, you know, I'd be doing this in my 70s and having the same conversation with you. So um, because of all the years of experience I've had meeting, again, all the talented folks I get to work with, uh, I reached out to a writer named Jeff Marriott. Jeff was an editor at IDW. He's written a ton of, of original novels. He's written a lot of comic books and graphic novels, whether they're adapted or his own ideas. Uh, and he just has a love of the of the West and, you know, Westerns. And I figured if someone knew 
or could appreciate the story, Jeff Marriott would get it. And I talked to Jeff and he said, I love this character. I know Joaquin Marietta. I know the story. I'm, I've, I've done research on him. So it was very serendipitous to you know make the first call and have that instinct be correct. And so now Jeff is, is you know, waist deep in, in the novel, and we hope to have it completed by March, and then we'll take it to publishers and, and try to find a publisher who will take it to, you know, the book trade and to bookstores. And then I will plan to adapt it either as a, you know, motion picture or as a miniseries, like a high-end miniseries producerial. So that's, that's the objective with the Joaquin Murrieta story. Who would be your ideal pick for playing Joaquin? And uh, please make sure it's a white. Yeah, name. right. You know, right. that's exactly why you know I did this because I, there's such mis- there's such underrepresentation across the board in Hollywood, and it's a you know if you if you live here and you work here and you pay attention, it's a real issue. So, uh, well, Russ, wait, let me. I want to push back on that because I think that a lot of the um, Hollywood um pedophilia seems to be of of all stripes <laughs> so that's one one as one area where there's they're colorblind let's say uh no comment <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no look it's th- this project is you, you can't tell an authentic story without having um filmmakers and actors and you know production companies and folks who who have an, an affiliation or a direct connection to the material um it would be disingenuous to try to do this you know the old way so when when we do go start talking yeah. about the project as film and television um you know the i will be looking for uh, a latino production company i'll be looking for obviously latino talent both in front and behind the camera so that you know it, it, it not only tells a story that deserves to be told, but it also brings smart, creative folks who might not have traditional opportunities or as many opportunities to work on material that I hope that they respond to. Do you have um, some Western movies that you really love that you think are like essential and, and particularly ones that you think maybe some people haven't seen? You know, I'll be honest with you, the Western wasn't always my cup of tea. Um, Besides, you know, I, I love Tombstone and True Grid and 310 to Yuma. Like uh, those, those are modern day, more modern day Westerns. I, you know, if my dad put a Western on television, I'd fall asleep. <laughs> like, I'd leave the room. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. never the medium that I liked so much. So, you know, what, what, what drew me to the material wasn't the time frame as much as it was the subject matter uh, that's timeless. And, you know, and that's why uh, I went with it. It's, you know, I think you can do a pretty amazing contemporary film that, ha- you know, that's set in, in the, you know, the, the, the 1850s, 1849, um, or, or, you know, and, and have um, something compelling and with, with talent that you recognize and with subject matter that, like I said, is multi-generational and appealing regardless of what time frame it takes place in. So, you know, it could have been a space opera if it made sense, but I, it, it has to be a Western and it has to be a gritty Western and it has to be really, you know, it has to make it, it has to leave a mark. That's what I'm hoping for. 
Makes sense. Uh, let me give you one suggestion if you haven't seen it already. I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now. The Proposition, <laughs> uh, Nick Cave. It's actually an Australian Western. Uh, Guy Pierce stars in it. Fantastic movie. Probably one of the best Westerns ever made. Um, highly, highly recommend it. And if you're, if you, you know, are striving for a, a sort of grit to the Westerns, as opposed to like Young Guns 2 or something, you know, a little more superficial, that is a very good cultural touchstone to, you know, give you the right vibes that, that I think you're going uh, on. Suggestion to take it. I'll check that out this weekend. Actually, I'll be in Excellent. I'll be at um, this weekend. I'll check it out when I get back. <laughs> there you go. Maybe watch it on the plane. Um, um, so let's uh, let's hear about Jackie, which seems to be a sort of counterbalance to uh, Sangri Oro. Yeah. So Jackie is, um, you know, because we're about two months from completing the manuscript. Uh, I won't give too much of the story away, but I'll tell you that I live in a place in LA called Calabasas, which is, we like to say it's Malibu adjacent, right? So it's, you know, we, 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 it's not, it just sounds sexier that way, but we, we oftentimes get uh, Cali, uh, Calabougie, Calabougie, I believe that's it's right. And no, Kim Kardashian is not my neighbor. Uh, but w- when we go to the city, there's two ways to go. You could take the freeways, the 101 and the 405, or you could take the canyons and there's Malibu Canyon and there's Topanga Canyon. And I used to take Topanga Canyon all the time. And there was this one guy on Topanga Canyon who was just, he set up shop right along the road and he was, he was a bonsai tree salesman. And he was like this older Japanese gentleman who, you know, had a fold out table and he'd sell bonsai trees and i had this wild idea i said what if he was you know be what if what if he was much what if he's like a mr miyagi what if he was mystical in a way he's been here for a long time and and he he has magical trees (laughs) you know just like what if what what if and what if what if this kid you know, was supposed to go to the store and buy milk with his, with his, you know, milk money, and instead he came home with a bonsai tree. Uh, his parents wouldn't be too happy. Is it, is it starting to sound familiar? Uh, it, it, it's essentially a a Japanese influenced um, Jack and the Beanstalk adaptation with a bonsai tree. Um, Very yeah. clever. And you know, and and it's just. It's really heartwarming. It's it's a it's a female protagonist, Jackie, um, and it is a very special sort of take on story that we're very familiar with. Uh, it'll be a middle grade, or we call it illustrated novel. So it'll be mostly prose, but we'll ha- we have a very talented artist involved in in doing you know, piece set pieces and character design to give the property and the book a little bit of spunk and fun and color. Uh, and it's being written by Kevin Monroe, who's another gentleman that I've met uh, and have worked with for so many years, uh, having written 
the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles motion picture from Amaji years ago. And we sold the Christmas special together when we were kids called Donner, the, um, you know, the other reindeer, the reindeer that didn't fit in. And Kevin has just had a really robust um, life, uh, entertainment writing and directing career he had a video game background and just so imaginative he's truly a, a triple hyphenate of writer director artist um with a wild and very special imagination so I, I told him about the idea you know the big idea and he's like i know exactly you know how to how to run with this <laughs> so we we sat down we Perfect. collaborated and kevin's doing you know he's 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 doing the rowing you're just uh, you're yelling through that. Uh, what do you call those things? Cardboard. <laughs> Rome. Rome. What do you call those things? Um, you know, <laughs> and, that, and that again goes back to the fact that I, I know the stories I want to tell. I know that I have a creative vision for what I want to see, but I know that I also have limitations, both time and I would say technically. So it's okay to, in my view, to bring on people who have a specialty, who have a skill set to help that vision be articulated. And that's what I'm really excited about. Excellent. Um, I feel sort of like we're getting an advance warning of what could be two very big properties within the next, you know, one to two years. Like this is pre-trailer, you know, uh, Hollywood buzz. We're getting the inside <laughs> scoop. That's what this is. It, it is, you know, not, again, there, there's, there's a lot of boxes that I'm checking here, Jesse. One is, um, being an agent my whole career, uh, I've always represented other people's IP and never owned any. And I felt it really important mm -hmm. to, you know, take some strides to own something and, and to invest in something and to tell stories that, that I believe more people will want to hear about that more people will get excited by than just myself and and that's also part of the excitement again going back to the food reference when you cook for other people you want them to love it you know and when I, these right. ideas i think have as much as they are i think artistically have the integrity they deserve to have i do think that they're both commercial in the right way you know not they're not intended to be um, you know, uh, pedestrian at any level, but they're accessible. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds that way. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, obviously it hits home for me because, uh, you know, I had the same epiphany it, it, working for other people and enforcing their IP and adhering to their style guides and, and, you know, going through that motion, um, it gives you a certain set of best practices or at least what you would do differently if you're in that position. And uh, I think about that daily. I, I really do. I think about, um, you know, I think my personal happiness in, in executing Knights of the Slice is very deep because I appreciate working on somebody else's vision and, and you know, enforcing those decisions yeah look i'm first of all you know i've been incredibly proud of what you've been able to do on your own to be able to you know essentially jettison the corporate world to survive and make a living doing what you love and feeding your creative needs but also 
uh, having fans come to the table and also appreciate that your vision, your idea, and, and support you. That's amazing. Uh, it's in, that's probably one of the most gratifying things probably you've ever been involved with. Um, you know, for me, I have. Well, I did. I did win class clown in high school. <laughs> um, but yes, that's more than I got. Said, I think that might be. I think I might have got best shoes. I don't know. Uh, but but I'll tell you. You know, um, I, I the the most gratifying thing for me over the years has been working with the people that I've gotten a chance to work with, and that's across the spectrum. And if you're paying attention you can learn so much from so many people so it's less for me about you know what would i do if i could do it better it's more what best practices have i been able to what that I've, have i been exposed to over the years that can inform my creativity and let me introduce something to the world taking all that i've had the opportunity to learn from these you know legends in their own respective worlds of marketing and creativity and filmmaking and mm -hmm. you know manufacturing and all the different worlds we get to be exposed to in our business uh and say hey um i'm what it, what it what was it was a john wooden quote it's like i'm not better than anybody but i'm as good as anybody else right like it's it's why mm -hmm. not yeah yeah makes total sense um so if people want to keep up on both these properties i know these we're literally hearing about this on the ground floor, very advanced warning, but where will they be able to see updates as these two things come to fruition? You know, temp I put up a very light, a couple of Instagram pages um, just to reserve the name and, and start introducing more generic content germane to the subject matter. Because again, I don't want to give, you know, everything away till I think we're really ready to kick in the marketing when the books are ready to be published. Um, but there's a Jackie page. I think it's Jackie the book. I need to double check and I don't want to X out of this app. <laughs> but yeah, I think it is. I think it's at Jackie the at book. Jackie the book. And the other one is at, at Sangra y Oro. Um, Sangra y, it's blood and gold in Spanish. And I'm, I don't remember if there's dashes or I should have probably written it down before we sat out. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe you can announce it afterwards. Um, but Sangre Iora. Yeah, I'll, I'll post uh, links to both of them in the episode description. Right. That's no problem. Awesome. Well, uh, look, you're going to need a very thick coat because it has been pretty cold here in New York. But uh, looking forward to seeing you this weekend. And I thought it was all about uh, safe flight. It was about micro fleece now, isn't it? Like we're not—it's not about big coats anymore. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, well, you know, it depends on how you fill out the coat, I guess. <laughs> well, just if it makes you feel any better, I was in a bathing suit all weekend in in uh, what do we call it, Calabougie. It was beautiful in the 70s <laughs> that does not make it better <laughs> uh, but listen jesse thank you so much for letting me participate in despot the, the, oh my god Dostazapod. Dostazapod. i can't even skip myself jesse Dostazapod. Um, but it's yeah. it's been a pleasure and um you know hopefully people respond to my creativity the way i have over the years to folks that i admire and that i look up to so it's gonna be fun Agreed. All right. Thank you, Russ. Uh, the only thing left to say is pizza out. Pizza out.